It's not just teenagers there at the mall wasting time, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's Nels, Nels Davis. This is the All the Responsibility, None of the Authority podcast for product managers, product marketers. Everybody wants to be more successful making and creating products and selling them, all those things. I'm here with my podcast co-host and collaborator, Rob McGordy. Great to be back with Rob, and it's great to be here with you again, podcast listeners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Secret Product Manager Handbook, my new book coming out at the end of 2017. You can learn more at secretpmhandbook.com slash alltheresponsibility. Pre-order it using the link on that page and use the offer code alltheresponsibility for a special deal for podcast listeners. It includes techniques and practices for transforming your product management career. You'll get new skills for finding and validating market problems and unsatisfied desires. It has great tools for working with developers, presenting roadmaps, collaborating with marketing and sales, and many more. Check it out at secretpmhandbook.com slash alltheresponsibility and use the offer code alltheresponsibility. In the last episode, we talked about the problems that a product manager can expect to always find in a new company when they start a new job and start doing something about. The kinds of things that everybody faces and where there's always an opportunity to improve. We had a list of those. The most important in our opinion, and I think we're not the only ones that think this, was having more interactions with customers or visiting customers. You might have heard the phrase nihito, or you might not have. Rob hadn't heard it. Nothing interesting happens in the office. The message being, get out of the building and talk to your market. This is really the most valuable thing you can do as a product manager is to learn what's going on with your market, find their problems so that you can then solve them in ways that help you beat the competitors. Unfortunately, that phrase is not usually accompanied by guidance on how to actually do it. So in this episode, we drill down into this kind of daunting topic. How do you visit customers? How do you get them to talk to you? What do you say in these visits? Absolutely. And it's great to talk about this because this is something that most product managers are very passionate about, which is the problem space. Instead of talking about features or designs or how to execute on an idea, one of the critical things of being a product manager is getting into and understanding and loving or hating, depending on your perspective, the problem. So it's pretty exciting for me to, to dig into this. A very important topic, and I think it gets short shrift in a lot of cases. There certainly are people out there that are talking about this a lot, and we'll talk about some of those folks and give some links to other people who are talking about going out and finding market problems and how to do it. But we'll give you our take on it in the next 20 minutes or so. And the way we're going to start, we're going to talk about some of the challenges and obstacles and roadblocks that you might be f thinking about as you consider going out and visiting customers. Definitely. So the first question is, who should you talk to? You know, it can, it can seem hard to find customers to interview you're not quite sure where to start necessarily. And this is often true for startups that don't yet have a customer base, or it might be true if you're thinking about creating a new product or creating an add-on to an existing product. And reality is it's challenging for any product manager, no matter the product or the market. Yep. And there's a couple ways to do it. We're going to cover a few of them later on in the episode. But in general, 
this is where I think a lot of the the support for personas has come in, where digging in and trying to to prospectively understand who's going to be using your product will help you then identify who to go talk to. But early on in a product or a company's life cycle, it's really just try to find people who have that problem. And you might come up with a persona, you might come up with a target market. At the same time, as long as you're talking to people who could potentially use your product or service, go for it. And of course, if you even if you don't yet know what your product will be, you might have some sense of the types of folks that would be that you want to serve the, the market segment that you're going after you know if you're doing enterprise software you probably know that it's might be for project managers or it might be for finance managers or it might be for salespeople if you're doing a consumer product of course almost all of us are consumers in the world there's 7 billion of us should be <laughs> possible to find a few and this is where some of those things of just just go walk down the street, start talking to people. If you're doing a regular consumer product that essentially anybody could use, you can legitimately just go to a mall. It gets a little harder when you have a targeted customer segment, but the difficulty is not then in defining your customer, it's getting in front of them. Which brings us to the second point. One of the major struggles of doing good customer visits or interaction or research is how do you actually do the interviews? What are the logistics behind this? Right. So you can't always meet in person. You know, your customers may be across the world or across the country. And it is actually the case that even though it says Nahito, you can't, nothing interesting happens in the office, sometimes your end of the conversation does happen in the office and their end of the conversation happens in their office. And that's just reality. So you're probably going to mostly be using phone and online meetings for a lot of your conversations. This is particularly true if you're in enterprise software or doing a business application. As Rob says, if you're doing a consumer application, you can often go to the mall. And even if the consumer application is, for example, for somebody who, for car drivers, for people that own automobiles, what would you call mm -hmm. those, Rob? Those people with cars. Yep, car owners. There are a lot of those people at the mall. Yeah, I mean, there's a big old parking lot. It's not just teenagers there at the mall wasting time, right? <laughs> So the next thing is scheduling. So this, again, an issue more for the enterprise software type of folks. You know, scheduling your customers, scheduling non-customers, that's another big challenge when you're talking about an enterprise software. How do you find non-customers? Because you probably want to hear from them as well. And those are great ways to work with other people in the company, right? When you have a sales team, they're talking to nothing but potential future customers, so trying to find ways to get in on those calls, maybe sit in on demos, and have the ability to dig in when you hear an interesting customer response could be a very low effort way of getting this type of feedback. And, and there's another aspect of that as well, which is that some of the sales engagements you don't win. And it's often very valuable to talk to the folks that you didn't win and understand what their problems were. You can do this in a couple of different contexts. You can do it in the context of a win-loss type of analysis, but you can also do it in the context of just trying to get more information about what that prospect's problems were and how maybe you didn't address them in, with your product as well as you thought you might. Absolutely. And so we're talking a little bit about the low effort ways, but we don't want to minimize the additional information you can get when you are in person. 
So we'll talk a little bit into how to make sure that you do mix in some in-person visits. I mean, for example, whenever I'm traveling for work, if I go to a conference, if I go have a uh, partner meeting, for example, I'll try to schedule some extra time and visit with customers in that area to just say, hey, I'm in town. And it's amazing how well that works to say, I'm in town for 12 hours, 24 hours. And it's really important that I talk to you because we value your feedback. It's amazing how flexible, otherwise difficult to schedule customers may be when you say something like, I'm in your town for 12 hours. Can we just meet for an hour? There's a lot of things you can see in that in-person conversation that you can't see on a phone call. For example, particularly if you do it at their desk, again, if you're talking business applications, because it's very interesting to see what is done on paper, for example. When you're doing oh, yeah. a screen share, all you can see is what they do on the screen. You can't see what they write down with a pencil or a pen on a piece of paper. So Absolutely. those are a lot of those are interesting things to pay attention to when you get the opportunity to be in person. I often call that anthropology, right? What's actually going on? Because they're not going to necessarily tell you about that. You might have to just spot that, and then you can use it to help you understand what the real problems are. Yep. Which takes us into the next point of how do you actually conduct some of these interviews to get good information? And Nils, you've talked about one of the key ones there, which is explore the work environment or the activity environment, if it's a consumer product, outside of what your product offers. So if it's, again, we'll go back to business applications because we both work on those today. The, the things that happen before and after they use your tool are as important, if not more important than what they do when they're in your tool, because those are potential problems to solve. You really want to know when they pick up a pencil and write something on a piece of paper as part of doing the job that your product supports. Yep. That's gold. Yep. And maybe they're not doing that, but oftentimes they are in reality. Yeah, or if they print things out. I remember I, I did a customer on-site visit, and they were printing out a ton of different things because it was just difficult for them to match information on a single 13-inch screen. Mm -hmm. And so finding a way to bring that information side-by-side -side in a visually appealing way dramatically changed how customers view the product. It's a great example. That happens all the time. People print stuff out. Continuing on with this, some of these logistics questions. Uh, so we talked about the value of being in person, which is fantastic. A few other things. If you can, consider recording the interview, whether it's in person or online. You should get permission to do this. Even if you have somebody taking notes or if you are able to take notes, it's often pretty valuable to be able to go back and check to see exactly what somebody said. It's not critical. It is valuable. Otherwise, you definitely need to take notes live or maybe have a colleague help you. And so one of the typical things that I try to do is to get another product manager, maybe a sales engineer. Designers turn out to be great at this or junior analysts to sit on, in on the conversation so that they can spot useful information with their own perspectives and also jot down the notes. So I typically take pretty detailed notes and I then compare them to the notes that the designer takes and they're not always the same and we see different different things pop up in terms of the importance. It's often interesting also to have an engineer in those conversations if they have time to do it. You don't want to do that every time and they're not always as skilled at doing the actual interview, but they often learn a lot and come up with really interesting solutions as a result of hearing directly from the customers. Definitely. 
And then obviously your role as a product manager is to help make sure that you get good information from these interviews. So even if you have a colleague with you who's maybe not as well versed in customer interviews, you can be the one that leads that type of really good discovery. And there's a couple ways to do that. The key one is to use open-ended questions. And we'll dig into that in a minute, but that should be top of mind is making sure that your customers are not responding with yeses or noes. Exactly. The other thing about these interviews, and this is super important, is you're not going to have one perfect interview that will allow you to know everything you need to know to create a great product or to create a great feature. Customer interviews are really a numbers game. You need to be doing them constantly because generally speaking, what you learn about the customer's problems is sort of a weak signal. And so you need to hear about it a few times from different customers before you can be confident that there's something there to explore and that potentially something to solve. Absolutely. So one of the next big hurdles is getting permission. And this will vary depending on your organization. But if you're finding that there's resistance, those above you, the executive team, other teams, pushing back against you getting out and doing these interviews or visiting these customers, it's important to try to find a way around that. But the first step is really to dig in and understand why. There's really three main reasons why a company would be not excited to have a product manager go and do customer visits. The first one is whether it's an issue of privacy or access. And in cases like this, it may be that you're working on something that's fairly secretive or fairly sensitive. You can think medical applications, you can think of security or um, yeah, infrastructure security, those types of things, where the fact that you're going to visit a customer may be exposing some detail of their business that they're not comfortable with, or it might be connecting an individual to sensitive data. So if you dig in and you realize that it's an issue of privacy or access, you're kind of tied. That's that's unfortunately not something you can really uh, bypass. But the other two issues are ones where it's pretty easy to combat. And those two issues basically boil down to not having enough time and not seeing the value from from an organizational perspective or a case where the executive or the product leadership believes that you should be making these decisions without customer input, which is a great topic we'll talk about in a minute, but I call it the savant in a cave. Um, the idea that you should be sitting alone and thinking and coming up with the next amazing feature without any outside influence. In, in other words, nothing important happens outside the office. Correct. Correct. And so then the, the last thing that you want to be able to avoid, which is a common argument from many, many product managers is that they don't have time to visit or talk to customers because they're too busy with too many other things and they're pulled in too many different directions. But frankly, that sounds more like a project manager than a product manager. So if you were responding to that sentence right there and saying, oh yeah, that's me. I have way too many things to do. Couldn't possibly spend some time talking to customers. I would reevaluate whether or not you're actually a product manager because a key component of being a product manager is to refine and guide the features that you deliver to customers so that they're willing to pay for it. And the only way you're going to do that is to understand what your customers want and feel and think. So if you're actually a product manager, find some time to go talk to customers. 
Yeah, I, I one thing I have said a few times is that we shouldn't think of ourselves as product managers. We should think of ourselves as problem managers. We're in charge of finding the problems and then creating solutions to the problems. So finding the problems is the most important thing we can do with our time, generally speaking. Absolutely. Now, one of the other challenges that you're probably thinking about is, okay, fine, I'm having all these conversations, I'm doing these interviews. What do I do with all that information I've gathered and how can I get the most value out of it? That is an excellent question. That's going to be the next podcast episode. We're going to tell you some ways to get really good value out of that information that you've gathered. For the rest of this episode, we're going to drill down on a couple of the topics we just mentioned, including how, how to get people to talk to you and sort of how to open up the conversation and how to actually ask the questions. What is it? What is an open-ended question and what are some good examples? So Nils, how do we get people to talk to us? Well, you know, it's usually not that hard. And you mentioned this when you talked to uh, about your visits to places where customers are and said, do you have half an hour to meet with me or an hour to meet with me? It turns out that people really like to talk about themselves and their problems. And sometimes the challenge is actually not to get them talking. It's to keep them from talking about solutions because people also like to think about how to solve their problems. So some of the techniques we're going to talk about are to help you keep this conversation in problem space versus solution space. That's sort of product management jargon that's worth knowing. The idea of problem space being what the customers are experiencing. Solution space is what we as product managers and product teams are responsible. That is solutions to those problems. Mm -hmm. So for people who aren't yet customers, you can do something along the lines of the following openings. And I just want to quickly mention here some of the specific questions and quotes and phrases that we're talking about here. We're going to have a little cheat sheet that you can download from the podcast website at alltheresponsibility.com slash questions. We'll have a little cheat sheet. I encourage you to go get that. We'll remind you a few more times throughout this. For example, one thing you can do if you are interested in talking to someone about business problems is you find somebody who, who has a business or who works in a business like the one that you're thinking of addressing, and you say, I want to ask you some questions about your business. You know I build software. There might be an opportunity to help your company with software in some way. Who knows? There's a nice little opening. And if somebody has some pain, particularly if they're, they've been looking for a solution, and particularly if they've been looking for a software solution, a lot of times people will leap at that opportunity to bend somebody's ear. Another potential way to open up a conversation, and you, this you might do via an email, maybe even, even an email blast to a number of people in this business, we're doing some research on the XXX software market. I'm just curious, is there any software that you've been looking for over the last few years that you're having trouble finding? So these are very specifically, obviously, about software needs that, that a potential customer might have. You can also say something like, can you tell me about how your company handles ABC problem today? That's something you might do in person. That's a more of an in-person type of phrase. It's a little more open-ended as well. It's sort of the exploratory, how are you solving a big problem? And then what I found, at least related to that question versus the other ones, it takes them out of their thought process of software. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking more just, what do I do to solve this problem? And it's amazing how many companies today are combating 
something that doesn't look like a competitor. They're combating, you know, a book or they're combating writing something on paper or they're combating some version of an Excel workflow. Right. Or, or a word putting pictures into a word document. Yep. If your job is going out and inspecting buildings and taking pictures of what you find and then making a report, you have your digital camera and you have to put the pictures into onto the computer and you have to put them into word and you have to format them and you have to blah, blah, blah. Well, that doesn't sound like a software problem, but it is. Yep. Now we've been, we've been talking about how to approach non-customers. Are there any unique ways, Nils, to contact current customers? This is one of the reasons that actually it's really good to have a continuous process of talking to customers because it's very nice to be able to open up a conversation about new areas based on something you've talked about in the past. I'll talk about, I'll, I'll sort of give you a quote for that in a minute. But first I want to mention that if you're talking to existing customers, it's really a good idea to let that customer's salesperson or account manager know that you want to or plan to talk to them. Uh, you know, it's always good to keep sales in the loop on any of these customer interactions. You can often use things you learn to help accelerate a sales engagement. And sometimes it might be a bad idea to talk to a particular customer at a particular time because of a particular sales process that's going on. But anyway, here's some here's a way you can open up a conversation with an existing customer. So you you say their name. This is this would be an email. I've really appreciated the feedback we got from you on X, Y, and Z in the past. I wonder if you'd have some time to help me understand something about ABC. I'd like to pick your brain for half an hour. That's a simple way to just say, hey, I appreciate what we've learned from you in the past, and I have this new stuff that I'm looking at, and I've almost always found that customers are really, really happy to at least say that they're willing to schedule a meeting. Sometimes it's hard to schedule that meeting, and we, that goes back to the whole scheduling question. <laughs> but, but I've never had a customer said, I don't really want to talk to you about this, Unless maybe they were about to drop us as a, as a product. And that has happened once or twice, but that's pretty rare. Which actually leads into another great source of the right customers is if you're looking at the feedback or especially support tickets, it can be really valuable to identify support tickets that surround the problem that you're trying to solve and go direct to those customers and say, hey, I see that you raised a ticket. It may or may not even be solved. I want to understand more about what it is you're looking for, what you think is broken, why that's critical. And now you have a very invested customer who's already using the product, already wants it to solve a problem for them, and has expressed concern so much so that they raised a ticket to support. Those are incredibly valuable customers to be talking to. That's a really good point, and I'll even extend that a little bit. Sometimes you might be thinking about extending the product in a certain way, you know, adding a new set of features or even creating a new product. And you might have some customers that are already trying to use your product in that way. Or maybe they're even successfully using your product in that way. And those guys can be very valuable because you can it validates that there is a problem to solve in that area. And by talking to them, you can learn what the issues were, why they decided to solve that problem with your product, even though it maybe didn't perfectly uh, address the issue. You know, so what the synergies are, what the shortcomings of the alternatives are. So that's another great way to get feedback from, from existing customers. Absolutely. And that's going to lead into the topic for the next podcast of how do you 
track and understand and see some insights from the feedback that you do get. Tickets and support requests and new feature requests being one of those key sources of information that you want to make sure you retain and track over time. Yeah. One thing we can say, Rob, for sure, is that we're talking about specifically talking to customers and doing interviews. There's a lot of other ways to get really good insights from customers, such as looking at um, the support queue. You'd think there would be more insights to get from the support queue, but often you'll find that the support queue can give you some insights, but generally speaking, you're not going to find insights about problems that your product doesn't yet address. Sometimes you do, but generally speaking, that's more of a customer interview situation than the support queue, for example. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about the questions that we can ask people to get good information. Yep. And I think this would probably be the right time to address some of the the mythology around customer interactions and how popular media or, or certain large figures in past technological advances have sort of led this process astray. And there's there's a couple great quotes um, that before this episode, we did the research to find out were actually totally incorrect. But um, Henry Ford supposedly said something about if he had asked customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Also incorrect, but the, the thought process is there. And then everybody talks about Steve Jobs as being sort of that savant in a cave of knowing what people want, telling them what they want, identifying features well in advance of any customer research. But we know for for a fact that Apple does an incredible amount of market and customer discovery so that they can provide features and products that are well-received. Right. And one thing you can think about in terms of a lot of stuff that Apple does is they don't necessarily solve new problems. They create much better solutions than some of the existing problems. They spend the their effort on making fantastic solutions. You know, the iPod was not the first music player. Right. Apple very seldom goes to market with the first of anything. They typically try to go to market with the best. Yeah. But going back to the Henry Ford quote about faster horses, this is why we typically don't ask people what they want. That's not the question that we ask. And we don't ask them closed-ended questions that they can answer yes or no to. We want to ask about problems that they have and about their goals and their dreams and their aspirations and their frustrations. And that's true across whether it's consumer products or business products. Yeah, because the faster horse is in the solution space. And we want to talk about the problem space, which is I want to get someplace faster. So we ask open-ended questions. And open-ended is a technical term that means a question that can't be answered yes or no. Mm -hmm. So how do you use open-ended questions, Rob? So I'll typically ask customers really open-ended questions, more like, tell me about something that you're frustrated with. And it's not a, are you frustrated with this? It's just, tell me something that you're frustrated with. Tell me a pain that you have. Tell me something that you're doing every day that feels like it's taking up a lot of your time. A really famous one that's coming out now is email. And then the next evolution being chat tools right? We're, we're spending a lot of time on these types of activities. And the question is whether or not they're worth it, or there's a better way to do it. Right. And so open-ended questions often start with, you just heard me say, how? I asked Rob a question about how he uses open-ended questions, because you can't answer a how question with yes or no. What is another good lead, lead in for an open-ended question? What is a time when you had this experience, 
you know, that has that you, you can't answer that with one word typically. Mm-hmm. So who, what, why, when, how, those are all where mm-hmm. are all good open-ended question starters. Tell me more. Tell me about a time. And so what you're going to do is you're going to ask open-ended questions around things like their pains, their challenges, things that they do a lot. What's the most important area of their work? What's repet- asking about repetitive tasks? What is What are some of the things you do every day that are frustrating? Or what are some of the tasks that your team does and they make errors? Mm-hmm. So finding fixing errors, fixing error-prone tasks is actually really valuable to do, particularly for business software. Yep. And what's important about these questions is these may just be the icebreakers, the types of questions that get you started in the conversation. Don't expect that you ask one question and they're going to give you a gem. Get really good at digging in and using the questions of, oh, really, tell me more. Tell me more about that, that thing that you just mentioned Tell me more about that. Expand on that, please. Or what else? Are there other things that you're not mentioning here because you gave me a very short answer? Right. And you can also use the five whys technique. This is a pretty well-known questioning technique. You ask a question, why do you do X, Y, Z? And the customer says, well, because of ABC. And then you say, oh, well, why is ABC important? And then they answer that. And then you say, well, why is the next thing? And after asking that, four or five times drilling down on that question, you can often get to the root of a problem. One of the examples I often say is, you know, if a customer asks me to paint, to change the color of a button to green, and I'll say, well, why do you want that button to be green? Well, because that's the one we click all the time. Well, why do you click it all the time? Well, because we don't need those other buttons generally. Our normal process is that pro- the, the thing that the green button starts. Oh, well, what is that normal process? And how often do you do it? Well, we do that about 90% of the time. Well, why do you... Okay, that will have to cut because I didn't end up in the right place. Well, And then you can go and understand if this is even something they need to click a button for. Would it be great if I could just do this automatically for you? Exactly. That's that's where I t- tend to lead that, and I failed to do my questions or the right, but... <laughs> but exactly. We can edit that. You can probably edit that. And if not, I can redo it. Anyway. Okay. So another thing, some other things to do, some other types of questions to follow up with are things like, how do you feel about that? So Mm -hmm. trying to get to an emotional level with the customer or the person you're talking to about what their emotions are about a particular situation. I'm really frustrated. It makes me mad. Those are great opportunities to create solutions. Yep. But don't forget that you can't just believe when a customer says that this is their most frustrating problem or their most difficult thing that they do because you want to spend some time validating that this is a problem they're actually willing to solve. So ask them, what are they looking to do to fix that problem today? Have they looked for other products or solutions? Are they using tools or software to try to identify it? If you're at a big company, you can even ask them, has anybody allocated a budget to help you solve that problem yet? And a lot of these will give you good indications of their actual pain, like their ability to pay or their willingness to pay to solve this, versus this being sort of a water cooler frustration that they're almost more happy to have in order to complain about. Right. And you can ask them if they've tried to solve the problem in the past so that some of your questions got to that. 
you know, you're looking for answers on the, along the lines of, oh, we tried to build a solution or we did a search for a solution or we paid a consultant to help us and it didn't work. Something along those lines indicate that it's something that they're really willing to spend time and money on addressing. Yep. And that who knows, maybe they have some current solutions today, but they're finding that they're falling short. That's right. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people solve business problems with meetings, for example. <laughs> and so if you can automate some part of that problem so that they don't have to have as many meetings, people tend to be really happy about it, as long as you do a good job of solving it. Yep. Yep. And you can also do a little bit of learning about how valuable the problem is, how much it costs, how much value there is in, in creating a solution. I've just read about an example where somebody was talking to a real estate agent about, or a real estate company owner about their biggest problem, which turned out to be recruiting real estate agents. It's very expensive to not have enough real estate agents. It's very expensive to go find them if you're just doing it manually. And so the value of fixing the real estate agent recruiting problem turns out to be on the order of 10000 to $20,000 a year per agent. Well, if you can sell a software product for $2,000 a year, the customer might find that really valuable. Absolutely. And that's also the case for things that go wrong. You know, if there's a problem that occurs, if it's done late or if there's errors, you can often get a sense of the business value of those. So we've been talking about a lot of questions, a lot of ways to dig in, and I'm sure all of you have been clicking pause and writing things down and working on building up a list, but don't worry. We've actually compiled all these and we'll have a bonus giveaway that you can download all these questions and more in a nice little handy cheat sheet. So if you have just gotten very frustrated, we apologize. Go ahead and set the pencil down. It's okay. Go to alltheresponsibility.com slash questions and you'll be able to download the cheat sheet. But Nils, what are, we've talked about questions. We've got a cheat sheet. That's great. But you know, we've got a hallmark. What are the three things that the listeners can do today? Well, I think the first thing they can do is schedule some customer interviews and they can use our tips for overcoming the challenges to get that done. That's an excellent point. And obviously, even if they download the cheat sheet, the next thing they should be doing is writing a list of their own questions that actually relate to the topic and the customers or the potential customers that they want to talk to. And a key part of this is also overcoming your own fear of doing the interview. So practice the questions so that when you're in an interview with a customer, you're comfortable expressing them. That's a great suggestion. And then one of the ways that you can practice is actually you can do it with your friends and coworkers. When they say something interesting or when you're having a conversation, you can use open-ended questions to find out more about what's going on with them. You can use tell me more. You can use tell me about the most frustrating thing that you've experienced this week. There's another whole set of questions that we didn't actually mention that are we'll put on the cheat sheet, but I love to ask people, what constitutes an I rule moment for you? And what constitutes an I suck moment for you? Those are great things to drill down on. Absolutely. And the good news is, as awkward as that sounded, there are really just great ways to be an engaged conversationalist. So you'll find that you're getting better and better at being a good friend or being a good conversationalist by digging in at the right time. 
understanding that something is a deeper topic than has been discussed and slowly but surely getting comfortable at opening things up and getting deeper into those topics. That sounds pretty touchy-feely, Rob. It is. And unfortunately, that's just part of the job when you have to get into the customer's mindset. You have to be touchy-feely and understand their problems. Part of the job of being human, I would say. Agreed. Great. Well, that is the episode about asking questions and how to set up the interviews. Next episode, we're going to talk about what to do with that information once you've gathered it. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the bonus list of questions at alltheresponsibility.com slash questions. And as always, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite service. Go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes. And of course, sign up for news and updates at alltheresponsibility.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Nils. Till next time. See you later. And thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>